India and tax scrutiny go together like Rodi and Kari, and now tax compliance is getting another layer of complexity in the form of faceless audits. On today's episode of the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing, we're exploring what faceless audits could mean for transfer pricing and how multinationals can prepare for this new wave of efficient examination. Joining us today is Sai Prasanna, Research and Teaching Associate at the Institute for Austrian and International Tax Law in Vienna. But first, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. It's usually only quote-unquote large companies that have to prepare transfer pricing documentation in Romania. Small and medium-sized companies have to prepare it only at the insistence of auditors. But just how big is quote-unquote large? On October 29th, the Romanian National Tax Agency updated its list of large companies that meet the criteria. Until December 31st, 2,940 taxpayers fit the bill by Romania's large taxpayer office's standards. But beginning in January 2022, 3,364 will meet the quote-unquote large company criteria and, congratulations, be required to prepare transfer pricing documentation. There are also transaction-level thresholds. Reports on related party financial transactions must be prepared by large taxpayers only when the associated interests exceed 200,000 euros or 230,000 U.S. dollars. The threshold jumps to 250,000 euros or 288,000 U.S. dollars for service transactions. And for transactions involving tangible assets, the threshold is even higher. 350,000 euros or 403,000 US dollars. For taxpayers who fit the criteria transfer pricing documentation, a master file, local file, and country by country report must be prepared within 10 days after the annual tax return is due. And if you're a taxpayer that doesn't fall in this group, you're not entirely off the hook. The tax administration could still request documentation if and when it sees fit. For the one or two of you that hasn't yet tired of hearing about the OECD's global tax plan, a quick update. As you probably know, the proposal includes a 15% global minimum tax rate, and it reallocates profits generated by the world's largest conglomerates. A huge rewrite of the global tax system as we know it, and one that required rounds and rounds of negotiations to get global buy-in. On October 8th, however, a miracle happened. 137 countries signed the deal. Of course, most will have to adopt the proposal into local legislation to make it official. As for EU countries, however, things work a little differently. First, all member states of the EU will vote on a sweeping directive, expected in December. Directives require unanimous support. Once approved, the directive is binding in its entirety and requires member states to enact the directive into national law within a set deadline. While the commission can alter the OECD's version of the rollout, it most likely won't, and according to the OECD, shouldn't. At a recent event hosted by European Movement Ireland, OECD tax policy director Pascal Saint-Amans remarked on the importance of consistency for the deal to be effective. That kind of cohesion shouldn't be a problem for the bloc, as EU countries are supportive of the global tax deal. Even reluctant Ireland now appears all in. Given that a directive has to have unanimous support of all EU countries, a proposal that mirrors the OECD's guidance is the most likely shoe-in. As St. Amand pointed out, inconsistent legislation 
would complicate things for all countries. Complicated tax policy? <laughs> Who would ever want that? Like the rest of the world, the EU may be focused on the OECD's global tax plan, but if you think that means tax avoidance initiatives have fallen off the block's radar, well, think again. Case in point, public country-by-country -country reports are official thanks to a thumbs-up by the European Parliament on November 11th. What does this mean for multinational companies? Starting at some point in 2024, M&Es with annual revenues of more than 750 million euros or 860 million US dollars roughly that do business in more than one EU country have to start publicly disclosing the amount of tax that they pay in each EU country, as well as countries on the EU's black and gray lists. Of course, EU member states will have to adopt the directive into local legislation, and they'll have 18 months after the directive enters into effect to do so. Companies will have to report on a country-by-country, -country, not aggregated basis, taxes paid, the nature of their business, the number of employees, and the profits and losses before taxes. If entities below the thresholds are suspected of being used to get around the reporting requirement, then they'll have to publicly report too. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Sai Prasanna, Research and Teaching Associate at the Institute for Austrian and International Tax Law in Vienna. We're talking about India and faceless audits here on the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing. Sai, welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, the last time you were on the show was March 18th, 2020, right when the world went into lockdown. What was your experience like and how are you adapting to the new normal? Yeah, it has not been an easy time for the world at large. And almost all of us have had to face different types of uncertainties at various levels. So adapting to the new normal was the only choice for us. And being in academia, research and teaching at the university is perhaps one of the safest spaces to be right now because what we're dealing with essentially is a lot of research, which doesn't require a lot, of, lot more of putting yourself at risk. So in that sense, it has been more of a business as usual in the sense we have converted a lot of our teaching and research assignments to virtual environments. And with respect to students, I think there has been a lot more of adaptation to the new normal from the students' side. And we are now moving towards what we call as a hybrid model at the university here in Vienna. So where we have a mix of both virtual as well as physical trainings. So all in all, 
from an academic point of view, I think the pandemic has had more time for us to sit, reflect upon, think and come up with new ideas. So to say, that's the experience for me in the past year, year and a half. You worked on the tax treaty and transfer pricing unit of the OECD as an intern. What did you take away from that experience that you apply to your current role as research and teaching associate? Yeah, so I was an intern with the tax treaty and transfer pricing unit at the CTPA in Paris at the OECD. And this was in 2019 when the world was still, in a way, getting familiar with the OECD unified approach and pillar one at that point of time, at at its early stages of development. These were the days when the world was not still aware of what's going to come up with the blueprint and the details which then followed and then the US position and and the G7 position and, and so on and so forth. So this was a time when there was a lot more of a room for brainstorming and scientifically understanding where to go from where we were at that stage. So personally, for me, the greatest takeaway from that experience was developing a fundamental understanding of where our tax world was headed and perhaps is headed now as well. And that is, in a way, reflected in our teaching and in our research activities usually because we are dealing with or we are interfacing with students more often than not and with tax making the news more often in the front pages of newspapers unlike before. I think there's an increasing responsibility for the teaching community as such and the academic community as such to set the right context and try to stay as objective as possible in a world which is increasingly having differences of understanding of where the tax system needs to be, uh, what the arm's length principle is, what formulary apportionment is, and so on and so forth. So that is perhaps the greatest learning, objectivity, and an understanding of where the world is headed. What's a transfer pricing story or discovery that caught your eye? Well, the most recent story or discovery is perhaps not one single landmark story or discovery, rather. It is but a set of issues which perhaps lies beyond the political, technical and marketing outcomes of BEPS 2.0, as we will see it. The reason I say this is because now while we are at a great step forward, and at a cusp of landmark reforms and potential consensus from the international tax community, what lies ahead beyond BEPS 2.0 is perhaps what is even more important for all of us to to think about. Now, on one side, we will be grappling with the implementation of whatever is the consensus position. But on the other side, there are various other issues which are not within the narrow scope of this particular project. And those issues. Just for example, it could be something like what will be the transfer pricing treatment of virtual currencies and crypto assets. We know that there is some tax position coming up on this, but there is still a lot more to be explored in this area. Uh, Some of your listeners who are avid followers of the, the crypto market will perhaps know that there are asset classes like non fungible tokens and the general tokenization of the economy and such concepts which are quite alien to the transfer pricing world still. So how the TP world is going to grapple with these concepts is something waiting to happen. It's an eventuality. And here we are currently still struggling with concepts like intangibles and how to value them. But I think technology is fast outpacing whatever we are thinking within the community right now. And turning to the 
Subject of today's show, in August 2020, India launched Transparent Taxation Honoring the Honest Platform, which is home to the Faceless Audit Assessment Scheme. Can you tell us more about Faceless Audits? How do they work? What is the aim of this initiative? Firstly, as a precursor to this particular scheme, which came out in 2020, in general, India has been making a lot of attempts, so to say, from a modernization of tax administration standpoint. This has been on the high agenda of most governments, regardless of the political spaces or the political backgrounds from from where each government is shaped in. So not just transpricing, but in direct taxation as general, India has traveled quite some distance between early 2000s and then 2010s and now in 2020s. Between 2000s to 2016, India had scaled up what was labeled as computer-aided scrutiny selection, CASS. Now, with this step, India had done some basic homework on how to perhaps use risk-based assessments using algorithmic picking of cases. So this was, so to say, piloted at first in select cities, and then it was scaled up across most other major cities in India. And much like most other bigger countries, most of the ME taxpayers and large taxpayers are concentrated in the larger cities or around the larger cities in, in India as well. So this scaling up gave some confidence perhaps to the Indian policy makers and the system at large. And so most recently, taking some heart out of this, the recent change has been in 2020, there was an extension of this to reduce the human element in audit processes. And this scheme now comprises of three different elements. So one is faceless assessments. The second part is faceless appeals and then a taxpayer's charter. So these are the three, so to say, cornerstones of this particular scheme. Now, specifically, the faceless assessments gains a lot of attention because that's where a lot of structural changes are or having been planned, have been implemented in some way since 2020. Now, what this does is that this entire scheme helps in setting up a national assessment, e-assessment center, which then allocates to certain regional e-assessment centers, e-assessment meaning electronic assessment. And what happens is the regional centers replace certain functions that was done by tax officers in the past. And so that reduces the, the workload of certain officers. But this does not mean that the work is taken over completely purely by a software or a machine, but rather it is just a team of officers who form these regional SPOCs or centers. And the regional center then is responsible for issuing the draft assessment order or for preparing the initial notices which require the taxpayer to prove why a particular transfer pricing adjustment should not be made, the burden of proof at the end of the day. So this is then rooted through the national center, the central authority, which is responsible for finalizing the order, which is passed by a typical tax officer. And what's interesting is that this creates more specialized units, one for assessment verification, one for technical aspects, like in potentially in the future in transfer pricing, but not currently, certain degree of review and finalization. So each of these different subunits, so to say, interact with each other. So they supposedly, theoretically, at least seamlessly communicate with, with each other. And there is a flow of communication from the central authority at the end of the day. So from the taxpayer's point of view, the taxpayer is interfaced with the central authority, and that's where the communication comes from. So, so this is the general framework of this scheme introduced in 2020. 
And what are the advantages of a faceless assessment scheme? What are the drawbacks? Yeah, at the ground level, I think India being this vast country with still grappling with a lot more of structural issues and coming out of uh, systemic changes, I think this comes as a shot in the arm for the tax administration to kind of refocus and re-strategize their priorities fundamentally. Now, India has also had a vast number of transfer pricing cases, perhaps totaling to hundreds and hundreds, sometimes every year annually. So which means this is a mix of routine and non-routine issues, which is subject to litigation. And that then involves a lot of time in courts of law and involves a lot of resources. So the key advantage is perhaps that digitalization of certain functions frees up the space and time and creates more resources or helps in reallocating more resources towards value-adding cases as opposed to the routine run-of-the-mill cases, which will anyway continue to exist due to the historical nature of what they are. Now, this is in a way then helps in phasing out certain inadequacies which exist currently systematically. Much like most countries that have large taxpayers, India also has being a key market economy in this world from an economic standpoint. So therefore, which means that there is a lot more at stake from a transfer pricing and tax perspective. And India is also one of those countries which depends on corporate tax revenues significantly compared to in relativized to certain other countries across the world. So for example, what this does is if there are 100 taxpayers that were providing you know, $100 million revenue in the past, then the overall ambition perhaps from the sense I get from this is that to maximize it to more value adding cases, which means that let's assume it's like around 200 million from just 50 taxpayers. So we are aiming at, let's say, doubling the revenues, but reducing the number of taxpayers subjected to audit. So that way, what happens is there is more control over what's happening and there is very little human resources, which is then dedicated to more duplicative activities. So I think this is a first major advantage. From a taxpayer perspective, this simply reduces the number of times one has to visit the tax office and interface with an officer. And each officer sometimes is going to handle X number of cases. And therefore, the number of hours spent on each case is then valued more perfectly now compared to what it was before, perhaps. Now, other major advantages could be also the fact that there is a possibility of data pooling and aggregating the data at a, at a country level, which, which will throw in insights which were previously not available simply, simply because of the regionalized approach to TP cases or uh, general direct tax cases. Now, this provides an opportunity for the tax administration to aggregate certain data, perhaps perform some data analytics to bucket taxpayers into various divisions, which can be monitored internally, perhaps uh, approach a more behavioral sciences approach towards and even modeling or predicting how taxpayers tend to behave or will potentially behave in certain circumstances. So, so the theoretically, the, the, the advantages are unlimited because that it's almost everything that digitalization provides, all the advantages in the world. Uh, but then as we all know, I think uh, human imagination often outpaces human inventions, which means the disadvantages of doing this could be still many. So one, of course, is the loss of direct personal contact with the tax administration, which is a key element in determining the right outcomes of several cases. 
Now, it should not happen that technology becomes counterproductive to the accuracy of what is being reported from the taxpayer's perspective or from the understanding of the tax administration's perspective. So what could potentially happen is the errors, the stringent timelines, and that digital record of transactions, which means there is a lot more which cannot be made subjective. And particularly for fields such as transurprising, this could mean that, which is inherently a lot more subjective, this could mean a lot many different things than other fields of direct taxes. And it's important to note that while transfer pricing audits are not specifically covered by the faceless assessment scheme, there are provisions in place to have faceless audits extend to this area of tax. They are expected, in effect, no later than March 31st, 2022. How will faceless audits increase transfer pricing scrutiny? Well, firstly, to start with, I think transfer pricing offers huge potential for faceless audits although there will be both advantages and disadvantages. One can imagine a typical transfer pricing report and the various parts of those reports, which which could be potentially scrutinized in a faceless manner. So we begin with, let's assume, a simple functional interviews, which, which are done from a tax administration's point of view for, for a verification purpose. Currently, because of the structural constraints of the larger footprint of MEs across a, a particular country, now, such constraints could be overcome if and when transfer pricing audits also involve interviews in, in line with how it happens for APAs, which is far more factually intensive, far more resource consuming, so to say. But then it leads to a more accurate result, perhaps. And the level of intensity which is applied to what we do in an APA could be extrapolated to what we do in a simple taxpayer's case, in a simple documentation. And therefore, the outcome of these cases could be far more accurate and perhaps less litigative than before. So in terms of the scrutiny itself, it could be more intense. It could be more data consuming, time consuming. But then there are also specialized units which are being deployed, one for doing the numerical computations and valuations. There could be involvement of experts or people from various fields, which are due to other reasons could not have been part of the system currently, could slowly start assimilating into into this domain as such. This also means that we can have more accurate ALP results because of the specialization. It's not generalist officers, tax officers who will take up TP as just one of their jobs in their rotation as one of the other things to do, but rather specialized people in their specialized roles. So therefore, we can we can imagine that the ALP will apply itself or unfold itself in a more accurate manner as opposed to what we have today. So, I mean, we can keep imagining each of these unlimited possibilities, especially for TP, which is such a complex area and such a fact-intensive exercise. So it also majorly frees up time for the tax administration for assessing cases involving intangibles or restructurings or such cases which otherwise, due to time constraints, could not be done. And just a brief recap for our listeners, global tax reform isn't the only thing to keep up with the digitized 21st century. So are compliance measures with India as a perfect example. The faceless audit, which is part of the, quote, transparent taxation honoring the honest platform, is in full force after its successful pilot launch 
in 2015. While transfer pricing audits are not yet part of the scope, it's important for multinationals to prepare for the positive and negatives that come with this elevated scrutiny, like increase in transparency and efficiency, higher quality of assessments, and the inability to connect with a real person when conducting the assessment. It's interesting that India is spearheading this effort, considering it's not the most technologically proficient country, both from a taxpayer and tax administration standpoint. How have taxpayers responded to faceless audits? Well, first of all, there are still not robust statistical data points to say that this has been a success or rather it has been having an adverse effect or any such uh, impact assessment, so to say. So therefore, what we are relying currently upon is more of subjective views, which we hear from different quarters. And that is a mixed response so far in the sense there's a general perception that this is for the good for the longer run. But then there are also several bottlenecks to be cleared in the short term. So some of these are, first of all, the major legal questions as to whether adequate time is being provided to the taxpayers to respond to some of the notices or to draft orders and for appeals processes. Although these are all procedurally well-established in the Indian tax system, uh, because of the shift towards a faceless audit, there are always certain unfamiliar territories which which raise up certain questions and currently a lot of taxpayers and the tax administration itself is trying to deal with some of these structural issues now other matters could also emerge in the future based on our understanding from interacting with certain taxpayers one of course is there's a lot of concern surrounding data security and confidentiality because ultimately we're dealing with sensitive information transacted completely in electronic medium. Uh, While it was physical papers before, this is true for most digital modernization initiatives. But then it is also the case that a lot of advanced economies uh, sometimes are being held ransom to security breaches and and hacking. So this is one angle which which still is somewhere, a bit of a hitch in, in the mind somewhere. But then notwithstanding these things and assuming all the infrastructural abilities and capacities are functioning to their best of their efficiency, then we can imagine that this would increase in its uptake and get more positive feedback as the time progresses. Now, as a culture, the only thing that slows the process of sometimes digitalization is the fact that there could be structural gaps in the sheer size and scale and the different parts of of the country itself. Now, this is not technically a tax problem, but this is a more systemic issue. And what compensates for this is the younger demographics of the country. And there's a lot more of understanding of technology itself. And there is a lot more of interest in technology itself. So all these factors put together, I think that the taxpayers are not averse to trying out or experimenting with this. And they're equally, if not excited, at least equally up for the task. And what does the implementation of faceless audits indicate about India's changing image in the tax world? Do you think it's an effective way to transform that image? Well, for a start, it is certainly a step in that direction in terms of the transformation of the persona, so to say. But then I'm also hopeful that the Indian tax administration would not be caught up in the perception game. And I'm sure they'll be wise enough to not seek any validation in terms of what this means for the rest of the world, but instead just to try to focus on how best they can implement this and make it easier as they intended it to be in the first place from a policy perspective. 
Now, different countries have had different social needs and economic needs, and this is often tied to the tax system, the tax policy, the nature of incentives. So what this means for India is that if this could be effectively translated into more revenues, less resources or cost going into generating those revenues, there could be a lot more of usage for public welfare as such, which is certainly a need of the hour in India. At the same time, this also should ensure that the taxpayers are comfortable to the extent that this does not interfere into the basic commercial functioning of companies. Of course, we live in an era of narratives and perceptions, often mired in groupthink sometimes. A certain degree of branding for the Indian tax administration would not do any harm, especially in times when we have cases such as Vodafone or Kane Energy or certain other landmark rulings, which have kind of ruffled up the, the global image, so to say. So if this kind of transformation could ultimately prevent those kind of fallouts, very objectively speaking, then that could be the real achievement from, from this entire project. Of course, my wish list, of course, is, is beyond the, the perception game. It is that India should move away from routine issues, issues around comparables, uh, margins or you know simple adjustments and so on and so forth, but rather focus on certain things which are unique to the economy. Like, for example, they have a huge digital user base. Now, the question is how this would interact with the DEMPI concept, which we know from which is being applied globally. Or from a tax administration point of view, how to devote more resources to really the value-adding aspects with more revenue potential and slowly move away or phase out the routine issues which, which have been there for the past 10 years, so to say. So yeah, this is, of course, my personal wish list. If this enables that, then I think this, this entire project has achieved somewhat what it set forth to. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And how would you say COVID-19 has accelerated the need for faceless audits? Well, the COVID pandemic has only accelerated the modernization efforts as we saw in 2020. For sure, the planning was happening much before and there was some degree of this existing since 2015 or even 2004 to some extent. But of course, it was all culminating in 2020 when it was more apparent that this has to be done and there was no choice left behind by COVID-19's impact because the cases cannot be stalled, courts were functioning remotely and things were happening remotely for most of the businesses. So therefore, there was no other way for this to happen, I, I would imagine. But this two to three years of time or the pandemic time during which this, this shift has happened 
or rather the positives of the shift have been more accepted and it has become more of a reality, I think this gives a good impetus to the whole project because then taxpayers and tax administrations are aware that this is how it is going to be in some level or to at least to some degree. So I think what we can expect is that in 2022, perhaps what is promised as the timeline for transfer pricing audits implementation, we can imagine how this is going to be, how the timelines would be slightly different when it comes to faceless audits. And we have to see whether really what has been happening from a makeshift COVID-19 point of view can also become more permanent and set in stone also for TP purposes. In which case, if this ever happens again, India is fully prepared and there's no need for delay. They can just continue business as usual. Yeah, that seems like it. Maybe they're preparing for another one to come. I hope not. Yeah. (laughs) Between taxation of the digital economy, e-filing, and now faceless audits, the tax world is rapidly changing before our eyes. Are faceless audits the future of tax? Well, to answer that question, I think we have to wait a little longer until we see some some real data and information to get some empirical information as to whether this is actually impacting the way in which audits are conducted, whether it is efficient, and whether that is reflecting in the revenue potential for the tax administration itself, and also the taxpayers' general satisfaction. So maybe a couple of years before which we can for sure tell what this is, whether this is going to be the status quo, But then we have seen other countries as well doing this. We have seen Australia, the UK, US, China, and several other smaller and bigger countries trying to digitalize their tax administrations, a lot of initiatives going on. Maybe I can add here that the Institute for Austrian and International Tax Law, the VU TP Center, the Transfer Pricing Center here, and the Global Tax Policy Center here, each of these centers at our university have all carried out various projects in the recent years for smaller and bigger countries on behalf of international bodies. And there are exclusively researchers focusing on these topics in Vienna currently and other parts of the world as well from what I know. So there are enough indications based on all this interest which is being generated from tax administration's point of view that most countries want their tax administrations to be more nimble-footed, agile, so that they're not lost in the race for the most modern tax administration, so to say, especially the ones uh, who are to gain from this uh, in the longer term. Now that we have the minimum tax coming in, we have a lot more of tax harmonization happening across the world. I think the margin for advantageous tax regimes is going to get thinner and thinner, which means in terms of the revenue potential, the ones which are technologically ahead may perhaps have more information sources and therefore may have better insights to initiate audits and to scrutinize it in a different way as compared to the ones without these technological advantages. So therefore, from a futuristic point of view, for sure, I think this would be the only competitive advantage if everything else remains equal as per the policy intent. And what advice do you have for Indian taxpayers conducting faceless audits? What do they need to keep in mind? I think invest in technology and digitally skilled tax human resources. I think that's the starting point. There can be no better response to technology than technology itself. In fact, I'm quite surprised that a lot of solutioning towards tax challenges to digital economy as such 
has been still found within the realm of what we know. But then a lot more of these solutions could be implemented potentially using digital means. And there is no better tool than digital to counter the digital challenge. So be it administrative compliance or even we can go until for a radical suggestion and say that every tax practitioner in this world should double up as a programmer or at least have some skills in RStudio, Python, Power BI, analytics tools, most of these things which could aid in better understanding of what the tax system for a particular taxpayer or a tax administration could be. So I think the future is somewhere there. Maybe that's a bit too radical, if not too fundamental. A foundational concept in TP is accurate delineation of a transaction. Now, there's a lot of questions on how accurate is this accurate delineation process. So one thing which can help as a starting point is technology to first of all, identify the differences in conditions in pricing and whether there is deviation from ALP, so on and so forth. So which means when it comes to faceless audit, when it comes to the level of scrutiny from a tax administration's point of view, the taxpayer needs to be ready and be prepared from a data perspective, from a timeline perspective, and all of this can be achieved only if there is adequate investment in technology to match up or to measure up to the tax administration standards in this case. And a quick recap, India is taking tax compliance in the 21st century to new heights with its faceless audit scheme. The AI and machine learning process is a large undertaking and will come with anticipated implementation hiccups. While the effort is a major revamp for India's tax persona, it's also a wake-up call for multinationals. Faceless audits will make it imperative that MEs are telling a compliance story, making robust documentation and evidentiary support critical keys to the compliance castle. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp and now we turn to my favorite part of the show this is a rapid fire round of a few more personal off-the-cuff questions less to do with transfer pricing and we call this segment what we want to know and sai you're in the hot seat today in this rapid fire round always the first question are you ready yeah this is the fun part excellent you're originally from Chennai. What is your favorite homestyle dish? Okay, so for those listeners who may not be familiar, first of all, Chennai is a capital city of the state of Tamil Nadu in the south of India. And one of its famous dishes, which we have in our region, is a dish called Pongal. It is also the name of a festival, which is uh, quite 
well celebrated by various tamil communities across the world perhaps if you if you cross the border and go to canada you have a national day almost dedicated to the pongal festival so pongal is a wonderful dish to have with the right sauce and coconut chutney so to say so do try it out if you are around in one of those south indian restaurants in your places well that is appetizing and as a research and teaching associate what's the most common transfer pricing question you get from your students what's a question you think that is not being asked enough i think the in recent times the most popular question so to say is whether formulary apportionment will replace the arms length principle at some point eventually even if not immediately this is the question which is often asked by especially students who are new to the whole international tax world and some of them whom we interact with but the question which needs to be asked more often perhaps not just from students but from the whole international tax community as such is that should one concept replace the other concept at all now why can't both these schools exist together in some way although this will have its own limitations and and challenges but then both are like two sides of the coin currently and one needs the other in order to challenge the other and push its boundaries and make it more perfect because there are criticisms on both sides and unless there is healthy criticism and, and debate and there's an alternative always available so that a scientific principle can be potentially challenged unless that challenge exists i think the field cannot move forward so therefore i think for a, for a healthy debate and for a healthy international tax system i think there should be competition between various principles and what has been your most meaningful career achievement to date in your view well the most meaningful achievement for me has not been any single event it has been more of a continuous event if i can say that so what that is is that meeting various tax and transfer pricing professionals and learning a tiny tiny bit from most of them whom i have met i think meeting the people and the people who make this entire system work are the key and meeting them is perhaps my most important achievement and for this i'm also thankful to the various cities which i have been part of be it paris vienna or chennai in india i think each of them have taught me various valuable lessons and i think this is what is important for most of us if i can say so where learning from different perspectives and having different ideas about the same field as we evolve that's great and finally who is an individual in the transfer pricing field that inspires you and why i have an answer for this and mind you this is not a marketing or branding answer but then the answer is that if i were to choose because the question is phrased as who is an individual perhaps i can choose not a person or a human being in a legal sense but rather i would choose a digital personality which is your own ai technology which is fiona which is an inspiring journey to push transfer pricing to a new normal and the tax world as such is still split between whether artificial intelligence has a legal personality or not but regardless of the differing schools of thought i think most experts in this world will agree that can come from anywhere and and surely your show the entire ai ecosystem which you have attempting to build and making it operational is an inspiring story in itself Sai, thank you so much once again for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. And we want to thank everyone for joining us at home. If you like today's podcast, you're going to love the other shows in Cross Border Solutions Tax Podcast Suite. That's the Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit and the Fiona Show Tax Provision. 
subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Fiona Show transfer pricing, and we'll keep you up to date on the latest in transfer pricing. My name is Matthew DeMello, and they let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Marilyn Mitchumstrom is our executive producer. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll catch you next time.